I got to say, it's me again. Um, I got to say, it is so great having Nate back doing announcements. I miss that guy. He, uh, just another good looking face up here. It's great to have. Well, um, well, you took my thunder with the Ducks winning. So I, no, I, I'm kidding. That's, uh, um, what a, what a great weekend start to the weekend there with the big Ducks win. But, uh, I'm excited to kick off this new series. Um, I think you can bring down my mic just a little bit, Rhonda. It sounds like I'm getting a bit of a hum. Um, I'm excited to kick off this new series we're calling Rhythms. Um, it's, uh, it, it's, it's going to be exciting, and I'll break it down for you a little bit here. Um, this last week, though, our family got tasked with a very uh, weighty, high-level responsibility. Um, we are fish-sitting for our second-grade neighbor who's on vacation with her family. And, uh, and so we have this very, uh, this very heavy responsibility that's been placed upon us. She, she very carefully brought the bowl over to us this last week and presented it at our door and very dubiously looked at us while we took it away. She's like looking at us and, and, and we're like, we promise we'll take care of your fish, you know. And, and, uh, and she gave us its precise feeding times and exactly how much food. And this is not a joke, it's bedtime. I didn't even know fish had bedtimes, but we're going to strictly enforce that bedtime. And uh, this is not made up. She's so adorable. She told us its name, and this is the fish's name. It's Rainbow Melvin Cupcake. And so we have Rainbow Melvin Cupcake that's living on our counter right now. And uh, so in addition to all the other responsibilities we have in raising our own children and, and our dog and our cat and our jobs, we now have Rainbow Melvin Cupcake that's living on our counter. And we need to keep him alive and happy and in bed at the right time. And, and on top of that, you know, we get, need to keep him alive. Uh, <laughs> uh, which is kind of important That or find an exact replica at the pet store Right before they get back That also responds to the name Rainbow Melvin Cupcake Train it quickly So anyway but, but with all of this going on All these responsibilities Could this be the straw that breaks the camel's back With all that we have going on in life Like we're back in school with the kids We've got a system We've got all these things We're working We're, get, we're, we're onboarding new staff And we're, we're going like crazy And then now we got a fish And then like everything just topples I don't know It, it could just push us over uh, Group participation opportunity here I want you to be really, really honest with me How many of you would say On occasion You feel stressed. Wow, that's almost half of us. That's way more than half. That's almost all of us, right? Hands high. We all say, you know, we feel, we have times where we feel stressed. Maybe we would say more often than not, it's an odd feeling when I feel like kind of mellow. Like I'm not feeling too pumped up, you know, just like, just like blood pressure sky high. Some of us, our normal is feeling stressed. Um... We've all had times where we felt overwhelmed. Uh, we had some friends over to our house um, a while back, and their two-year-old got a hold of my brand new cell phone I just bought and discussed it across the room like this was the uh, Summer Olympics. It was an impressive distance for a two-year-old. And I was like, ah! And their parent was like, oh, glad you had a good case on that. That was the apology for that. Luckily, the phone didn't break, but how many of you have ever just gotten to that number of text messages coming in of people needing stuff from your kids, from your coworkers, from your spouse, whatever it might be, and you're like, if I get one more email or one more text message, I am going to throw this phone. I am going to lose my mind. It's like playing Jenga, the, the block game Jenga, and if one more block, it, all it takes is one more block, and I'm going to lose everything. It all comes tumbling down. And so we, we have these times where there's, there's just this building, uh, this crescendo of stress that can happen in our lives. Um, 
because we live in a culture that really pushes us to the limits. Our culture pushes us to, to have more, to, to buy more, to possess more, to do more. Are you telling me you haven't done fill in the blank? Are you telling me you haven't been fill in the blank? Or, or whatever it might be. And there's this, uh, this, this press, this, this pressure to make more, to have more, to do more, to experience more. And all of this builds up in a crescendo. Your kids haven't played soccer. Your kids haven't played football. Your kids haven't played basketball. Are you even raising them right? Are you doing this? Are you, you, they aren't in an after-school program here. You aren't doing this and that. And there's all of this weight that can start to build on us. And many of us, I believe, are living at an unbiblical and an unsustainable pace. There's an unbiblical and unsustainable pace, and so I think this series is going to be really important because many of us would say we find ourselves out nearly five nights a week with sports, extracurriculars, things for the family. And do we call that normal? Is that normal and is that healthy? And is that what God has prescribed for us? So uh, this series, I think, is going to be really important as we step into fall because fall is really a transitional time, right? It's a transitional time. How many of you know time flies and you don't even realize it and suddenly it's Christmas? I feel like September hits. You might as well call it uh, Halloween. And if it's Halloween, it's Thanksgiving. And so if it's Thanksgiving, you know it's Christmas time, right? It's just like it happens. Oh, Christmas. And it's New Year's. And, and so things just move so quickly. And sometimes you look and go, where did it all go? What happened? And so I think we need to be so intentional as we talk about this series, as we go through rhythms. Um, but rhythm really is a word that profoundly bothers me. Uh, we landed on this name, but I, it, I don't like it. Mainly, I think, because there's just way too many consonants and, like, no vowels in it whatsoever. It's like a Russian word. I don't know. It's, it's, but but uh, it's, it, it's talking about these... When you talk about rhythm, it's a tempo. It's a, it's a, it's a flow that goes to life. And um, as we know, as we go through seasons in, in life, there are, there are indeed busy seasons, right? We have seasons where it's really, really busy, and it's really hectic, and it's stressful. And we have seasons where we go through seasons of growth, and we have seasons where we go through waiting seasons. How many of you have ever been in a waiting season? We have times where we go through these different seasons in life. And like the author of Ecclesiastes wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, there's, there's seasons to, to plant and there's seasons to harvest. There's seasons to laugh, but there's also seasons to weep. There's seasons to mourn and there's seasons to dance. There's all these different seasons of life. But I believe while there are seasons of life that can be predictable as well as seasons of life that can be unseen, we ultimately anchor our souls to God. And when we do, we can become intentional about the rhythms we set. So no matter what period we might be walking through, we can experience the peace and rest and renewal of God. No matter what season we may be going through. So I've entitled my message this morning, Chop Down a Tree. Which, hopefully by the end of my message, will make sense. If it doesn't, just receive that as a profound mystery, like a Jesus parable, and just try to unpack that later. Be like, what did he mean by chop down? Let's go chop down a tree. But uh, today, we're going to be in the book of Haggai. When is the last time we preached from Haggai? I don't know. But uh, this is not a long book. You might, if you have your physical Bible, you might, might need to jump to the concordance for that one, because it is a short book, and it's right at the end of the Old Testament. So if you would, open your Bibles with me to the book of Haggai, chapter 1. Haggai chapter 1, and here's what it says. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai to the prophet Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. I got through the names. We can move on. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, Is it 
A time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Stop there. Now, let's get a little background on what's going on here. Who's Haggai? Haggai is a prophet. Judah has been taken into captivity into Babylon. And Babylon, they're in captivity in Babylon for many years. And then Babylon is eventually overthrown by another empire, the Persian Empire. And so they are there for 70 years in captivity. And at the end of that time, they are finally released to go back and start rebuilding under, under the new leadership of Persia. They're allowed to go back and start rebuilding what was theirs. And so we know the story of Nehemiah building the wall and things like that. So the people move back, a remnant move back to Israel, and they start to rebuild in the rubble. Um, they have a lot to do, because when Babylon came in and took Judah... They didn't go, grab the people, grab some of the valuables, we're out. They said, we are going to destroy this place so no one lives here. And they pulled every building down. They burned it. Um, they, 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 they destroyed Solomon's temple. They ripped it to, to shreds. Not even the foundation was left. They raised and burned the entire thing. It was a wasteland. And so now, it was literally just inhabited by bandits and, and, and just empty. And the people moved back, and there is a lot to do. There were no walls, like I said, for protection from, from anyone. There were no homes to live in. There was no economy. There was, there was none of this was really going on. So can you imagine with me that you've been dropped into like this dystopian situation? Some, like you watch like a prepper's show where they're like ready to start from zero, you know, kind of thing. Being dropped into a situation where you are starting from nothing. And you've got to build a life and a world. And so they are starting, and they start by building the walls to the city, and they start building their homes, and they put down the foundation of the temple. And they're building, and they're working, and they're doing all these things. And, and so these are their priorities. And I'm sure some of us would think about, what would be my priority if it was just me and like an axe, and like I'm in the wilderness, and I've got to survive? You know, shelter, food, what are we going to do? And so they're working on what, feverishly on what they think needs to get done to get established, reestablished in their homeland. And then God's word came to Haggai, the prophet, And he says to him, you guys need to consider your ways. You need to consider your priorities and what you're doing here. You guys need to have a priority check. He says in this verse, you're starting to add paneled walls to your houses. And I need to give a clar- like clarify what this means exactly. This is not talking about that 80s style paneling that's in like a mobile home. You know, they're not like going down to, to, to Jerry's or uh, something like that and like getting the, the really nice classic paneling for their walls. This was like custom wood inlays. This was high-end stuff. So they have built their homes, and now they are putting in really nice finishing work in their homes. They are putting in ornate woodwork and starting to do these incredible things. So, So God says, look at the house of God. It's laying in ruins, and I think you guys really need to have a self check right here and identify what your priorities are. And in the same way, we need to look at our lives and define what is exactly most important. If you were dropped in a situation where, where you were left in that kind of society, society or, or world situation where there was nothing and you'd set up priorities, I need, I need you know, the food, water, um, uh, shelter, I need you know, the, the basics, God is saying you, need, you guys need to take account of what's going on and what's most important. You're starting to put paneling up in your house and yet my house, the house of God, is being left in ruins. And so um, he says we need to define what's most important. Start to take a self-check. Guys, it's time that you start asking yourself to check your ways. And so busyness doesn't necessarily guarantee our effectiveness. 
The people were very, very busy. They were working like little ants, just all over the place, running around, busy, 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 working, working, working. But the fact that they were busy didn't actually mean that they were being effective in their life. Knocking out tasks doesn't mean that we're actually succeeding in what matters the most. We can have a checklist and we are just knocking them off. But if we're doing things that don't matter, it's meaningless. So God says, the city, it's in ruins. The temple is just a foundation. But the people are going, but have you seen my paneling? Have you seen this? That's some good paneling. D.L. Moody has one of my favorite quotes of all time. I have it on a screen in my office, as a matter of fact. He says, our greatest greatest fear should not be a failure, but of succeeding at what doesn't really matter. So the people are working. They're putting paneled walls up in their homes, and God says, you guys need to take account of what you're doing. You need to consider your ways. Weigh out what matters and establish what the priority in life is. When we're going through life, we can put in, and I'm getting kind of ahead of myself here, but we can put in all these uh, uh, superfluary things, these extra things on the outside, and before you know it, they fill up the entirety of what's going on, and there's no room left for what's most important. And so God says you need to take account, to start to take into account what really matters. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus is going along, and he goes and visits some dear friends of his, Mary and Martha. Their two sisters and their brother Lazarus. And he goes into their home, and this is what happens as he walks into their home. It says that Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, and they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught, but Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come here and help me. But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. This is an interesting verse because Martha Martha is working feverishly. Were these important tasks to be done? Yeah. She's feeding them. Food is important. I would say I like food a lot. Food is important. A meal is very important. It's not that these things weren't tasks that needed to be done, but yet Mary identified what was best. What was best. So so Jesus says, I should be the priority here. You see, the Bible tells us that we serve a jealous God. You say, man, that, that sounds really selfish of Jesus to say, you should be paying attention to me. But let's be honest, he is God. We serve a jealous God. And so, so Jesus says, I am the best choice here in this moment. I am literally the Son of God sitting in your living room and you are busy with tasks. And let me tell you, the God of the universe still wants to know us and spend time with us, but we busy ourselves in just the same way. And so Martha is busy with things that, yes, they're important, but yes, but no, they were not the most important. But so, it's so easy to get caught up in our own personal mini- miniature universes. Our own personal miniature universes. My dad used to tell me something. I'd get frustrated and, and you know, be like, why, why don't people see things my way? And he'd say, Brent, when you're a hammer, everything's a nail. I just see things as what I need them to be and what I need and what I need to draw out of it. And he'd, he'd say, Brent, all you're seeing is what you need and what you're looking for. Other people have needs. Other things are going on. There's more than what's going on in your, your own world. And so, but often we define what's most important, important and priority by what exists already in our own universe. 
But take a look here at what God says through Haggai, continuing on in this, in this section of Scripture. Continuing on in verse 6, it says this, For you have sown much and harvested little. You, this is Haggai talking to the people for God. He says, So you've sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does, does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, he says it again, consider your ways. So here we can see the tasks that the people have been up to. They've been sowing and harvesting. That means they've been farming. They are farming like crazy. That's an essential need, food, right? They are working hard at creating food. They are making clothes. Clothes are important. You want to wear those. But they're, they're, they're making clothes. They, they're meeting felt needs. They're going out and getting jobs. They're making money and trying to put it in their pockets. Who wouldn't say that these are all important things? Who would not say that having food, clothes, and a job is an important thing in society? They're all doing those things. They're working hard at them. But every time, here's the deal. Every time we say yes to something, it means we're actually saying no to something else. Every time we say yes to something, we're actually saying no to something else. If I say yes, I'm going to the gym today at 3 o'clock, I'm saying no to a myriad of other things I could be doing at that same time. I could be watching TV, I could be doing grocery shopping, I could be doing anything else, but in order to spend that time, I'm saying no to everything else, right? In order to say yes uh, financially, if I say yes, I'm going to Applebee's with my family after church, I'm saying no to something else I could be spending that money on. But the two for 22 is such a good deal. But in order to actually spend that money, I'm deciding to not use that for something else it could be used for. In the same way, we all our lives, we have resources. Each one of us has time. We have money. We have influence. We have resource. And when we choose to say yes to one thing, we are in turn saying no to another. And this is why it's so important that we must protect what is most important. See, often we say yes to good things but end up crowding out the most important things, so we must protect what is most important, and this requires being intentional. This requires being intentional. I love pizza. To a scary degree, I like pizza. And it's passed on to my children. Bless them. They are like their father. I love pizza. And there's, it's great when there's parameters around pizza. If we make one frozen pizza for our family, there's four of us, and it sli- typically slices into eight. I go, I get two and a half slices because I steal what's left of Judas' leftover second piece. That's my parameters. It's already set for me. It's, 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 it's set in stone. I'm not going to overeat because that's all I got. However, when I'm home alone, and I get out one of those frozen pizzas and put it in the oven... I can tell myself, I'm going to only have two and a half slices. And I eat the first slice, and it's delicious. And I know I get the second slice, and I eat the second slice, and that is just as delicious. And I get halfway through that third slice. Might as well finish that slice. What's, what, why put that in the fridge? Like one half of a slice? Before you know it, I look back at the counter, and they, it is gone. That pizza is gone. It is in my stomach, and now I need a nap. I have no self-control whatsoever because the parameters have been removed. The, 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 the guidelines have been taken away. And we like to think we are so full of self-control. But when we have carte de blanche, when we, have just, uh, we are able to go wild and do our own thing, can I tell you that that stuff gets eaten up so quick? And in our life, let's, let's expand that out. Let's blow, blow this up a little bit. Let's expand it out to looking at our, our whole lives here. I was, I, I was shook when I stepped out of high school. Even though I went into college, I was shook at how much freedom I had. 
Everything was laid out for me in high school. I had to wake up at a certain time. I went to classes. They told me what to do. I went home. Sometimes I had a job afterwards. But it was like homework and then done and then bed. And then, and then high school ended. I was like, I could go to school. I could not go to school. It was, it was crazy the amount of openness. And when we hit adult, adulthood, when we hit, uh, when we hit a point where, where we have all this freedom, a lot of us lose that control because the parameters have been re- removed and suddenly there's all this freedom we don't know how to control. And can I tell you, I know some adults that have never left that high school mentality of stepping out, that have lost control of protecting what's most important and suddenly we're just living day to day and we look and w- before we realize it, we look back at our day and we go, what happened today? Or we look back at our week and go, how'd the week end already? Or a month, or dare I say, this is terrible, our life. And we go, where did it go? How did I spend it? Just like looking at the counter and the pizza's gone, we've, we've parceled it all out, it's all gone, and we haven't protected what's most important, and, and before we know it, we've spent it all on what's worthless. Things that seem important in the moment devour the space for what's most important, and Can I tell you that every single one of us in here has time to serve God? Every single one of us in here has money to give God. Here's the rub. Do we have enough time and do we have enough money to both give to God and live the lifestyle that we want to live? Probably not. That means giving up. Something to God. That means in some areas there's going to be things that need to be sacrificed in our life. Most often God is reduced so that most of the pie goes out to all these uh, external things and then we give God the leftovers, the crust that my son doesn't like to eat. We go, oh God, here's what's left of my week. I'm not too busy this Sunday so I'll be there this Sunday. And we give him what is remaining, and I was so close to naming this series Margins. Margins, we all have a page in our life. We all have, no matter who you are, you could be Bill Gates, you could be the President of the United States, we have the same 24 hours in a day. It doesn't matter who you are. We all have the same amount of time, and we fill it with how we choose to fill it. We can fill it with things like work and school and family and home projects and recreation and entertainment and vacation. And, and we're writing in these things and we write in the center of that the most important thing. But typically it starts with work, our jobs, because we need to you know, supply and support our families and things like that. And then it grows out from spending time with family. And before you know it, it's pushed all the way to the margin and there's hardly anything left and we try to squeeze God in there. And then we lament the hecticness of life. Oh, why am I so busy? So it's so important that we not only define what's most important, church, but that we protect what is most important. Take God and put Him in the center of that page and everything else can build around it. And what's left for the margins, great. Enjoy the recreation. Enjoy those things that are, that are bonuses, but to put the most important thing in the middle and then to protect the most important thing. But that's what the Israelites were getting wrong. They, they've started paneling their houses. They've started working on all these things that are extra. And then on top of it, they're trying to get their jobs done. They're trying to get, uh, make clothes. They're trying to, 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 make, to grow food. And God says, your food isn't growing. Your, your purses have holes in them. Um, all this stuff is falling apart. Do you know why? Because you're under a curse. Ooh. He says you're under a curse. I think this is interesting. When we look at Matthew chapter, 10, or Matthew chapter 6... 
Jesus says this phrase, or this, this verse that I think most of us have heard and know pretty well. He says, So why do you worry about these things, saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. I find this verse almost haunting because you look at each one of the things he talks about. What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? And what are we going to wear? Each one of those is exactly what happened in the book of Haggai. What Haggai said, you're trying to grow food. You're trying to, you're trying to uh, make money. You're trying to do all these things. And they're coming up short. This is the exact list Jesus just gave. And he said, but when you seek first God, everything else will fall into place. And so it's about getting that pr- priority set in place. They put God's work aside so they could pursue their own lives. And how much time did they spend paneling up their own houses and how much time do we spend paneling up our own homes so here's what god says to israel through haggai continuing on in verse 8 he says go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that i may take pleasure in it and that i may be glorified says the lord you looked for much and behold it came to little and when you brought it home i blew it away why declares the lord of hosts because my house that lies in ruins while each of yours Each of you busies himself with his own house. They literally came under a curse because they were disregarding what was most important. God says, you've busied yourself with your own projects and your priorities, and now everything else has come under a curse. And look what you have. Now what you have is empty. It's fruitless. It's void. You are looking for meaning. You are looking to to, to fill this. you're, You're literally without resource, and that's because you have disregarded the most important thing. And here's what he goes on to say in verse 12. This is their response. Then Zerubbabel, the son of uh, Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and the son of uh, Shealtiel, the governor of, of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, and on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. So here's the deal. The Israelites heard from God. Haggai spoke to them and they heard and they received this message. And then they evaluated their priorities. They go, we need to decide on what's most important. But then here's the the crux of the thing. They got their rears in gear and did something about it. They obeyed. They identified what's most important. They protected their priorities. But it all means nothing unless we act on what's most important. You see, words are cheap. My dad jokingly says that he can tell my mom that he loves her and she'll say, words are cheap, prove it. (laughs) Like actually stepping out and doing that. God is not honored by our good intentions. We could have good intentions towards a lot of things, but until we act, it's meaningless. We need to get past the idea, just the concept and get to application. In verse 8, God says, go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house. And do you know what they did? They started chopping down trees. They started going out and actually doing it, obeying God. I I enjoy, this is my ego, I enjoy getting compliments on my messages. I like when people are like, Pastor Brent, what a word! 
That makes me feel good when there's a buzz and you're like, oh man, people are stirred up. I like that. I like getting an email that was like, hey, that was pretty good. Brent, I stayed awake pretty much the whole message to this week. You know, that's, that's encouraging. I, I only checked ESPN four times on my phone. Ooh, I just convicted some guys in here. I'm sorry about that. I appreciate that people enjoy a message or if I, if, I, if I hit the mark. But what matters most to me is seeing what you do. How we take the word and then go and do. Start chopping wood. Start chopping wood. You see, see, we, we laid out a vision several weeks ago for Wonder Camp. We laid it out. We, we brought the word. We said, now it's time to go and do. And do you know we had 40 people step up, more than 40, and say, we're ready to go. And they went out and they served our community with all their hearts. We, we have serve teams. Did you know that, I think Pastor Ty reported that almost 40% of our church right now serve in some fashion. 40%. People that are saying, we are going to do, we are going to serve. Did you know that more than half of our church are signed up for life groups or study groups in some fashion? These are people that are saying, it's time to do. And this is what Haggai was telling the, church, or the, the people of Israel. He was saying, now is the time to start. Today. Today is the time to start. Not Monday. Not Not tomorrow. Not next week, not next Thursday, not the new year. Oh, you know what? The new year's a great time. It's just a clean slate. That's when I'll really kick it off. I do that with exercising. Next, next week, oh, it's going to be a clean slate. But as of, since it's Wednesday and I haven't even started, I'm not going to start today. Today's the day to start. Today's the day to say it's time to start chopping down trees. No more excuses. Time to get out from the curse and start to put the priorities where they need to be. If it isn't a priority to you, let me tell you this. If it isn't a priority to you, I guarantee you, you're going to find an excuse for it. But if it is important to you, you will find a way for it. We find a way to make things work. When, I, when something really matters to me and I want to do it, I will work things around. I will finagle my schedule. I'll call people and I will make it work. But if it's something I don't want to do, I will find a way to make it not happen. We need to make God a priority and say, whatever is going on around it, I'm going to make this work because this is my priority. I'm going to protect it and I'm going to serve with everything I've got. I'm going to start chopping down trees. I'm going to start investing in what truly matters. I've, I've heard this many times before. You know what? I'm just waiting on the Lord for Him to really tell me where to serve. I'm just not sure yet. I don't feel confident in where I'm supposed to go and where I'm supposed to serve, so I'm just kind of in a holding pattern to see what He really directs me towards. Can I ask you, did any of you watch television this week? Did any of you feel the word and the voice of God come down and say, you need to watch reruns of Survivor right now? Probably not. We don't need the prompting of God for some reason when it comes to stuff we want to do, right? But when it comes to stuff that's of God, sometimes when it's not our idea or what we feel like filling in, then we're, we're looking for like, oh, that, I need that spiritual reinforcement to step out. Can I tell you that we're, we're really kind of just uh, making, making our excuses sound godly? What's keeping you from stepping out and starting to chop down some trees? Pastor Ty has set up a site on our website where you can find a place to serve, to start investing time, investing your resources, investing your ability into eternal things, into things that are to serve. Can I ask you, what's keeping you from being poured out? We're starting our children's ministry with a new pastor, new leadership, and, and, and who, what is preventing you from coming alongside and saying, I'm ready to serve, I'm ready to be poured out? You see, the life that you felt so profoundly 
empty and meaningless. Their purses were, had holes in them. Whatever they were making was gone. Whatever they were producing was lost. In life, we can feel like there's so much emptiness and all this emptiness, whatever we feel like is being unfulfilled can be suddenly filled, not just with meaning, but with the very presence of God when we invest in what matters. I like what God, what God says in verse 13 here to Haggai. In verse 13, he says this. He says, I am with you, declares the Lord. I am with you. When they obeyed, when they started chopping down trees and investing in the house of God, suddenly God said, I am with you. It went from curse to God's presence. And there's nothing that I personally want more than to know that God is with me. I mean, there's gr- it's great feeling fulfilled. It's great having purpose and all that. But to know that God is actually with us, what an incredible thing. And that's what I want to know. That's what I want to walk with. That's what I want to live in. All of the other things are of such small consequence when I know that God is with me. I could be doing big things, but if I knew God wasn't in it and God wasn't with me, it'd be empty. But we need to put God first. About 15 years ago, there was probably one of the most theologically rich songs that came out called Jesus Take the Wheel. That's a joke. But Carrie Underwood sang this song, and it's about uh, this, this person that's on a road trip, and suddenly they hit black ice, and they're spinning around, and as they realize, I'm going to crash and die, they go, Jesus, take the wheel, and, uh, and invite Jesus in to save the day. And I think often we like to keep God on the margin, and then when we need him, we go, okay, step in, step in, step in, come on in, come on in, take this, take this, take this. But right now is our opportunity to say, it's not... Jesus step in and take the wheel but I'm stepping away and putting you in the driver's seat in whatever direction you lead me to if it's my life being poured out full time if it's my life being pulled out, poured out part time if it's my life being in whatever context you call me God I am completely yours and to put him in the center and say I yield and I surrender completely and wholly to you see what he does with that let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning this morning as we close the service If you're in here this morning, I always want to give this opportunity and you've been living life on your own terms this whole time. You've been filling life with things that you're trying to give you joy, pleasure, trying to fill in those voids and you're you're, you're searching, you're searching, you're searching and you've realized it's empty. Can I tell you that Jesus is the answer? Just like when Haggai was talking to the Israelites about their lives being so empty you feel like your life is empty can I tell you that Jesus is the answer and right now I invite you to bring him into your heart and make him the center of your life when Jesus comes into your life he changes everything no longer we live for ourselves when Jesus comes in but we live for a different purpose he gives us a fresh start a new outlook and so if that's you today I want to pray with you I want to give you the opportunity to give your life to Jesus say Jesus I'm ready to serve you with everything I've got I want to give you my life and I want you to forgive me of my sins so if you are in this room you've never given your life to Jesus or maybe you are ready to give your life back to him you want to serve him with all you've got and give him your life if that's you with your heads bowed and eyes closed right now 
I want you to raise your hand and raise it high. I want to pray with you. Raise it high. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I see those hands. Anybody else? Thank you. You can put your hands down. And right now, church, together, we are going to pray. This is a celebration because, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, it's a son coming home. It's a daughter coming home. God is celebrating right now that you are no longer under condemnation, but you are now a child of God, a son of God, a daughter of God. And so right now, we get to pray this together and we get to celebrate those that have come to know Jesus. So right now, church, pray this after me. Say, Say, dear Jesus, thank you for coming after me. Thank you for saving me. I choose to give you my life this morning. I want you to be my king and my God. I believe that you died for me so that I could know you. I choose today to live for you every day of my life. Wash away my sins, Jesus. Be my king. Amen. 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 Heaven is celebrating this morning with those that gave their life to Jesus. Amen. Right now, I want to challenge you. If you are a follower of Jesus, if the rest of us, if you haven't raised your hand, that means at some point you have either literally or figuratively raised your hand. Someone has led you to know Jesus as your Savior. Here's the deal. Where's your priority at? Have you been paneling your house like crazy? Have you been working on your own business and you've been so caught up in it that you've been forgetting to chop down some trees? I want to challenge you today to not put it off not say next year when I, when I have things really lined up, when, when my job is how I need it to be, when I'm in the right relationship or when I'm out of this relationship or whatever it might be, then I will get going on serving God. But to serve Him now where you're at, don't waste time. Step out. Grab Pastor Ty. Say, Ty, I'm ready to serve. I'm ready to go. Put me to work. I want to work for the kingdom. I want to work for things that matter. I want to chop some trees. There may even be some literal trees in the back of the property we need taken down. I don't know. But it's time to get to work. So right now, church, let me pray a blessing and a charge over you as we go this morning, all right? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Lord, I pray over your church. I pray over these people, God, that we would not be so caught up in our day-to-day, the the, uh, auxiliary things, the extra things that are on the outside that can so often cloud our vision and take over what seems to be most important. And we fill up things that are important but replace it from what's most important. Lord, I pray that your church right now would live for the most important things that we would keep our eyes on the most important things, that we would protect the most important things, and that we would act. And God, from this day forward, we would see people investing in things that where moths and rust won't destroy it, where thieves can't break in and steal it, but things that matter for eternity. And we invest it today. We thank you, Jesus, in your name. So appreciative of Pastor Brent, you guys are about to be too, because we're kind of like yin and yang. When I brought to him, hey, we have about 40% of people serving, he's like, oh, that's amazing that we have 40% serving. And I'm like, yeah, but that means 60% of people aren't serving. And then he brought, we brought up, you know, we have over 50% of people in life groups. He's like, I'm excited. I was like, that means half the people here are in a life group. And so as we were hearing from this message that, that God says the greatest thing we can do is get up and go and do what we need to do. If you're looking for a spiritual word to go and get involved in a group or serve, I can tell you it's, it's already given to you. It's a, 
So if you're here and you're not serving on the team, or if you're not involved in the life group, make today your day. Make today your day. We can come and we can sit and, and we can hear a lot of great things we can be poured into, but those are the people that Jesus honestly had the biggest qualms with in his ministry. The people that like to show up, go through religious exercise, but didn't follow through. They gave a lot of lip service, but didn't have the true heart and action to follow the Lord. So this morning, this morning, I would encourage you, be about Jesus, be about the church, get involved with the life group, get involved with the serve team. Also, as part of that, um, Pastor Brent was joking with me. He's like, man, I love having you do tithes and offerings because you always have this like really cool thing to say. So then I felt like really pressured. I was like, man, I gotta come up with something profound to say. And uh, me and my wife are kind of nerdy. If you guys don't know, it's kind of fun. Literally every Friday morning, my wife pulls up. She pulls out her laptop. I pull out my iPad. And we sit and drink coffee. And we go over our finances like to the penny. She's like, I noticed there's 59 cents out of the budget that's missing. What did you buy? And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, here we go. Me and my wife are like obsessed with our finances, obsessed with productivity, obsessed with like being wise in that. And oftentimes uh, I can find myself guilty because my wife doesn't even know she does it, but she'll be reading on the Bible app and she'll highlight a verse that talks about making the Lord first and not our finances, trusting the Lord with our finances, like uh, not worrying about where our finances are going to come from, but trusting in Jesus. And last week I shared that if we can make the Lord the Lord of our finances, everything else in our life easily falls into place. Can I tell you guys, I don't say that as somebody that's like, has a mastered or is like, you know, you need to do what I do, but as somebody that's part of the process with you. It's easy to just say, hey, yeah, I trust Jesus, I love Jesus, but it's hard to get some skin in the game. This morning, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, I would encourage you, be faithful in your tithes and offerings. Not simply because it's something that we have to do, you know, the electricity has to be paid, like Jesus is going to provide a way, but because it's a place for us to make much of Jesus in life. It's a place for us to be blessed, maybe not financially, but spiritually, because we can say, we get to share the awesome testimony of the church and Jesus and what he's doing all through the world. I'm so thankful to be part of a church that's so faithful, both with our giving and with our serving and with our life. But let's continue to be faithful until the day that Jesus comes back. Amen. Amen. If we could have our ushers come up, I'm going to pray and we're going to sing a song. God, right now, I thank you for who you are. God, I thank you for what you continue to do. I pray that this place would be a place known by your love and your power. As the scripture says, that it wouldn't be by wise words, it wouldn't be by, by fancy shows, but it'd be by the spirit and power of God that we proclaim the gospel. I pray that, I pray that when people come into this building, that they wouldn't come leaving saying, wow, that was really neat. They sang some cool songs, that was helpful. They had some really awesome donuts, but they'd say, I encountered the true and living God. That I encountered people that love God and love me. We think we're thankful for who you are what you will continue to do in your name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand as we take offering and sing the last song.